sitting here with Abdi Asadi on November the 19th, 2012. Hi, Abdi. How are you, Barry? Doing alright. So here we are in a continuation of our last episode. Yes, um, and thanks for um, setting this up and, and kind of exploring further the topics um, or the topic particularly around ceremony that we, we touched on and I think we did a really good job um, of covering you know maybe uh, you know what would be considered you know the, the kind of known aspects I think of ceremony and you know kind of like some you know broad kind of brush strokes not generalizations but you know talk about you know ceremony in, in context but I wanted to take this time and maybe um, dig a little deeper let's go let's go so before we start I'm going to actually um, read a prayer um, from um, one of my favorite um, books by one of you know the great elders. Um, my book iteration was called The Secret Chief because the guy was still alive. And then after he passed and, and with permission from the family, his, his identity was revealed and his name was um, Dr. Leo Zeff. And he did um, uh, uh, psychedelic psych psychotherapy. And he did it um, in the context of, of healing much in the same way that, um, you know, you're a healer. Um, and he did it um, on an individual basis and in group journey work, and he used the classic psychedelics, so LSD, psilocybin, 2CB, and some of the other ones. Um, but he had this prayer that he went to, and in the context of ceremony, when we open up sacred space, we typically um, have a prayer, too, that we, we use some of our favorites, and this is one of my favorites, so I'll just read it and let it speak for itself. So um, this is by an archbishop um, back in the 16th century, 17th century, 1651 to 1715 was his lifespan. His name was Francois de Salignac Fenelon, and he was the archbishop of, uh, archbishop of Chambray. And the prayer goes like this. Lord, I know not what I ought to ask of thee. Thou only knowest what I need. Thou lovest me better than I know how to love myself. O Father, give to thy child that which he himself knows not how to ask. I dare not ask either for crosses or for consolations. I simply present myself before thee. I open my heart to thee. Behold my needs which I know not myself. See and do according to thy tender mercy. Smite or heal, depress me or raise me up. I adore all thy purposes without knowing them. I am silent. I offer myself in sacrifice. I yield myself to thee. I would have no other desire than to accomplish thy will. Teach me to pray. Pray myself. Pray thyself in me. Amen. And that was um, from the secret chief revealed, uh, again, um, Dr. Leo Zeff. So that's so interesting. You know, Ramana Maharshi, a lot of the Indian sages used to talk about there's two ways to deal with life. And one was you just surrender yourself to whatever the divine's will for you is. So if you lose your job, or your partner leaves you, or you get ill, you just, I will to will thy will. But it's so brilliant of this being to choose this prayer, because in the face of full-on hallucinogenic experience, your will is going to scare the bejesus out of you and create a lot of pain. So it's really wonderful to go to that path, as opposed to a place where you're going to try to work your will, where your whole psyche is actually getting this... Mantle yeah, piece by piece. It was pretty genius. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, 
you know, we talk about, we talked about the last time, you know, um, about some of the tools and the, the, you know, the, you know, you call them talismans or, you know, some of these sacred objects that we, we use because they, you know, Terrence put it like, you know, um, they hold the, the morphogenic field or like all the past experience of the lineage of, of the masters and the people that use them um, in that context. Terrence McKenna, yeah. Terrence McKenna. And, um, one of the things that, that, that just occurred to me, you know, came up was, you know, this, this idea of, of, you know, we, when we're working in, in um, really challenging scenarios and whether or not be, you know, working with, you know, one of the sacred medicines and, and ceremony, you know, we're, we're working with, with concepts a lot of times. And in and, and, and my experience, and, and please, you know, kind of correct me if I'm wrong because it's just based upon experience, right, not necessarily teaching. That you know, there's these 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 concepts that we 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 glom onto or grasp onto to kind of like keep ourselves you know put together, keep our wits about us, right? And and those have you know very powerful um, uh, con con well, I mean, very they're very powerful in and of themselves, right? You know, so if if I'm in a really challenging scenario, like you know the you know the, the ego dissolution and. and deconstruction of will and those kinds of things but you know feel that, that that I'm being overwhelmed by fear and 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 sometimes I mean I can you know detect like the difference between what is my fear and what seems to be something else you know something very palatable you know we're talking about you know maybe elemental energies and those kinds of things this is going to get really deep you know pretty quick some people are going to be like what the fuck is he talking about but you know, I, I go to like these prayers um, to basically use that from the, the perspective of, of not only the I think the, the the morphogenetic field or the energetic component, but also it's I know it's a concept that, that I can grab onto and hold onto for dear life. You know, and and maybe I mean the, the greatest one that comes to mind for me is like well I'm really you know when I say in the shit. You know, and I and everything else doesn't seem to like be working. And I'm just losing it. You know, I can I can call it the like Hanuman. You know, mm -hmm. and like and that you can say it's a concept. You can say it's a deity. You can say it's you know divine intervention or whatnot. But a lot of times that helps me. Explain what Hanuman is. Well, Hanuman is um, an avatar of, of God. You know, you know, so you know, uh, just one of the thousands of names of the unnameable one. You know, some people you know refer to like their their deity of choice is being, you know, Jesus Christ, you know what I might right, say. But Hanuman is a divine protector and a warrior. That's correct. Or a divine. So the monkey. The monkey. The yeah. monkey. The yeah, monkey. Ram Dass tells a great story about yeah. that. I won't go into that. But, yeah. you know, just, he's a servant of Ram, you know, right. um, and a great warrior, the Maharati. Right. You know, um, outstanding warrior. and um, you know. And so, so the warrior in a time of fear is definitely a useful concept. The interesting thing is, I mean, when we're getting the ego dissolved, Sometimes it's actually very difficult to hold on to concepts because those concepts get taken away. Now, you're talking about two types of fear, and it's really great that you make that point. So people might think it sounds crazy. I doubt it. I'm sure everyone has had the experience where they're having an internal fright, where it's a thought form, or they see something scares them, or they walk into a room and they don't have to be having a ceremony experience and something is in there and wow. it feels really off. Yeah. And those things are real, sometimes they're thought forms, sometimes they're actually entities. The curious thing, or the not so pleasant thing about it is that when you actually get afraid, these energies are attracted to you. 
So some of the shamans, some of these dark, quote-unquote, working with the dark side shamans, actually harness the energy of these entities through parceling pieces of fear. Sort of actually learn how to parcel fear out, and they pull these energies and they can use them for whatever purpose that's not so in tune with love. But that's someone that can actually manage to parcel their fear. Yeah. When you're shitting yourself in the middle of a ceremony, as many have ex experienced and talked about, that's the trick at that point, because these entities can actually get a hold of you and it can be a not so pleasant experience. So these things, I don't believe them to be concepts. I mean, when so many millions and billions of people have been um, praying to an entity, a divine source, or it just could even be a thought form, it has energy. So when you call that energy, you're actually using your bank card mm -hmm. to pull in a loan that people have been investing in. So they're yeah. very real things. So the concept thing, you're right, on one level it's a concept because all these things are concepts, but on another level it's a concept that has energy. Because you can have a concept in two seconds that has no charge and it won't really serve you there. Mm -hmm. But a concept that has charge, which at that point is charged by millions of pujas every day around the world, well there's actually juice there. But another thing happens in these situations which is and it's hard to differentiate, is it part of this divine source or is it a part of the fact that you're actually pulling yourself out of fear? Once you're not in a state of fear, these energies can affect you. So it's a very curious thing that I've learned over the years. And again, it's sort of like saying your car is going to be out of control and immediately you need to go the wrong because even if you're an expert driver. But somehow if your mind just goes into a relaxed place, your body automatically does what it needs to do counter steers, gets on the gas, touches the brake. It's very interesting. Mm. So what you're describing is that. Getting the mind, which is creating the fear by using the mind to get out of that fear state. Now, all shamans prepare people through these specific intentions and even people like Robert Monroe who wrote Journeys Out of the Body, who was one of the really people in America who made uh, leaving your body, very popular by the book that he wrote because he was having experiences. He had a whole routine of prayers you would do. The same thing of setting these intents before. So basically it was like a mental protection. So you don't go into a fear mode. Hmm. And the fear mode has to be experienced. You can't will against it. Sometimes this being scared the bejesus out of you and these experiences yeah. is part of the It journey. seems to be like, well, I mean, at least in my experience, like a normal part of the experience that there's a there's a, you know, you can almost like compartmentalize an experience over the course of like, you know, several hours and like, you know, having different parts and in one part there's like sheer terror, you know, and you can like go into it expecting like, oh, you know, before you take that cup or whatever, like, oh, what the hell am I doing? You know, I'm doing this again and I know what to expect on a certain, you know, point, not always knowing when that point comes or whatnot. But it's interesting that you talk about, you know, the, 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 the bank card, I call it like the nuclear option, right? Mm -hmm. It's like if I, yeah, I know if I'm in that spot mm -hmm. where, you know, there's nothing I can do, I can, I can play the nuclear option. Mm -hmm. You know, if I can't like, you know, if sticking my fingers down my throat and like puking my guts out or doing whatever I need to do to like sober up or whatever, none of that's working. Mm -hmm. You know, I got a nuclear option to play. And you're right, there's an energetic quality that happens that there's a change, it seems like. So yes. you're right, I think there's that, that juice piece and I never really made that connection before. I, you know, there's certain concepts or certain, certain things that I can do to be like, ah, this is just kind of going through the motions. Yeah. And other things are like, no, this is, this is the real deal, this is what works. It's substantial because again, it's sort of like marriage, you know, people get married, gay or straight, not really realizing that they're getting into something 
that's been done billions of times. You can have the most amazing concepts about it. Hey, we're doing this, as this, we're doing this. But once you actually take that ceremony on, you are buying into this piece, which was based basically on slavery, was based on some form of husbandry, which was animal welfare, was based on survival. So we don't really realize that these ceremonies have power. We've actually lost our spiritual eyes on this level. Mm -hmm. It takes a tremendous amount of purity and clarity to turn that instrument into something that serves you. And this is sort of what we're talking about. Now to me, the fear thing, you know, I didn't really enjoy my first experiences. I mean, Jesus, it was so scary. I certainly didn't enjoy it, but looking back, I sometimes really feel the, f the fear aspect and having to sit in that fear was even more productive in some way than having these opening experiences and feeling the oneness. Because the feeling oneness is delicious and it's wonderful, mm -hmm. but the fear thing, I mean, when the Bardo state, when you're dying, you know, part of my practice for 20-some years was being around people that were dying, and the fear thing was amazing. They hadn't really faced that fear. Mm -hmm. And in my experience, all our running around is to have a denial of that death, but also just to push away any anxiety about it. So a lot of the consumption that we do, a lot of the addictive behaviors that we do, the nonstop movement, the sort of iPhone thing, is to push that fear and anxiety at bay. Right. Yeah. So when you actually have these experiences, to me a big part of it is just making friends with that fear. Yeah. That fear doesn't have to be pushed away, it can be made friends with. Now, you don't have to be a masochist and be in it for eight hours or <laughs> six hours, but yeah. I think the fear thing is really important. It has to be made an ally. It has to be made an ally. So in, in, so in your experience, does it become manageable or is this something you expect to have like more of the classic psychedelics or not? But even in the, in the, in, in the respect of, of being out in nature alone at night, you know, and, 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 and doing ceremony, and, and, and maybe, you know, using cannabis in the sacramental context or whatnot. So you still have a lot of your faculties. Absolutely. But like you said, stuff still comes at you, you know, and like, you know, there's, there's the aspect of like, you know, terror even in those respects. So you're saying you can, you can become friends with that terror and manage it? And Very much so. You know, I lived in a teepee for a year yeah. when I was 19 to 20. And coming from like the Lower, lower East Side of Manhattan, I mean... I literally didn't sleep for the first couple of weeks, you know? And I remember having this experience where I met this guy, I was hanging out with these shamans back in the day, and this guy from Adirondacks one time came down, like full-on Adirondacks homeboy, never mm -hmm. been to the city, and I took him down to the Lower East Side where I was living at the time, and you know, dude was like six foot four, full-on lumberjack, you yeah, know, not a little yeah, boy. Yeah. And the terror on this guy, and I remember it really occurring to me at the time, like, wow, I go to the country and I get scared, he comes here and he gets scared. And it's a guy who would just go up to tear in the sky, you know, basically mm -hmm. where the Hudson mm -hmm. starts and he just hikes by himself for five days. Like, yeah. you know, full, think of it. nothing of it, but yeah. he comes in. So part of that, what you're describing is to become familiar with it. So yes, I don't know if managing is the right word, but certainly you become familiar with it. It becomes familiar terrain. Mm -hmm. So we all have this experience where we go to a new place and we don't, we can't read people's languages or their facial expressions. It's, Maybe fear is too strong a word, but we feel uncomfortable. Yeah. And after dropping for a while, you're like, okay, I know this. So part of these things, part of these ceremonies, you have to become friends with that space. So what you're describing in nature, absolutely, but we're so strange from nature. Yeah. Right? I mean, nature as in the woods, and then you add something like cannabis to it, and everything gets even more heightened, and it's like, wow. Yeah. 
So my experience is that. I mean, I remember really being terrified living in the woods, and it wasn't even like hardcore woods. It was, you know, yeah. close to civilization, but certainly being in that place where you had to walk for 10 minutes and then be in the woods, it was frightening. But there was nothing to be afraid of. I lived in the Lower East Side. I'd been stabbed. I mean, like, it was crazy yeah. to be afraid of that, but walking down the Lower East Side, it was not a thing of fright. So it comes back again to me. It's about the practice of dying. What is the fear? The fear is we meaning the part that thinks it's Abdi or Barry, is worried about being annihilated. That's really what the fear is. Now you're becoming annihilated with the hallucinogenic experience anyway, which is part of the gift of it. We want to keep some semblance of sanity in that. But to me, it's always what's going on. I've been around people, not many, but I can think of a couple of friends who've had shamanic experiences from back in the day, and they never had a fearful experience. And it used to really bewilder me, because I used to really wet my pants. And... On one level, I feel like they were clear, but as I get older, I realize that there was also a form of narcissism that they did not allow the dissolution. Hmm. So I don't even really know if they got what it, they went right into the oneness. Right into the list and stuff. Yeah, yeah I noticed people like that too. Yeah, which yeah. in a way it can be cool. Who knows? I mean, the jury's out on that. I mean, we'll know in the moment of death yeah. because yeah. that's when the stuff comes up. But yeah, the people can just go quote unquote right to the light, and it seemed very genuine at the time, but. There's a part of me that just has this gnawing feeling that experiencing that shadow aspect is important. I think that's. I think you're right on that. You know, because it's funny. I had another teacher at one point talk to me about like you know the you know the, the you know the yoga practice and like the full eight limbs, not just the the, mm-hmm. the, the physical the asana practice, mm-hmm. and like you know how you know some people are like just naturally adept Ferraris, you yes. know, and like I'm a bloody Chevy. I'm gonna yeah. totally plagiarizing Tim Moore here. Um, you know, and he's far from a Chevy. <laughs> Self-deprecating guy that he is. It's great. Um, God bless him. But um, this idea that, that you know, you need a certain amount of um, traction yes. to kind of like, you know, to, 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 to you know, kind of, this, not necessarily send that would be the wrong word, but learn things. You know, it's... Then for a second, it's the same in martial arts or in Chinese um, medical philosophy. You have the eight limbs or you have the eight paths. And, you know, like, again, we've talked about this at length before, where asanas, which is the physical structures of yoga, um, are so practiced, and there are people who are amazing at it. But I feel like if you're amazing at it, sure, you can do it and have your health clean, but go into pranayama. Mm-hmm. See if you can do that. Does that make you anxious, sitting and breathing? And if that's easy for you, go meditate. If that's easy, there are people who can just do the diet thing, boom, they have it down. Mm-hmm. There are people who struggle with that. They're really, the fruit is in the struggle. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm in total agreement with you yeah. there. And not yeah. one of these, like, egomaniacal suffering for suffering's sake. I mean, the Jews, Muslims, and Christians got the corner market on that one. That hasn't worked out too well for those major no, three religions. But the terms of actually um, refining the gold through purification, that's a beautiful thing. Mm. Yeah, I think it's, it, it closes the loop on that idea of like seeking, seek out that which makes you uncomfortable. Yes. You know, because yes. that's where you're going to learn. If you're yeah. super comfortable, like whizzing through yeah. second or third series, then you yes. to find something else. For sure. <laughs> because at that point, Good it's for not, you that you can do that. Well, that's but, amazing. Yeah. But it's, yeah. to me, again, it's not about that. And we're so, our culture is so based on end results. We are not processed. That's what I always say. We're so event-oriented. So we're not even experiencing the first, second, or third series. We want to get to the end of the third series and then, like, what's next? Yeah. We're not in the process. Yeah. You know, I see martial artists who are so, so refined and do amazing things, but boy, they haven't tasted anything in 30 years. Yeah, yeah. 
and their people are still doing their Tai Chi form 30 years later, one form, and they're refining that, and it's such a glorious thing to watch. It's just exquisite. It is exquisite to yeah. see masters, yeah. Yeah. Full disclaimer, I'm slugging it out in the primary still 10 years into it. Good for you. <laughs> I trust that more. And I have no desire to like go any further, because it's, it's, it's certainly hard enough. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, ceremony for me has been like this, this great kind of um, container for a lot of, you know, kind of where, you know, psychotherapy comes in and, and you know, yoga practice comes in and, and my sadhana and meditation practice comes in. It, it seems to be the place that um, has, has borne the most fruit for me in the last couple of years. Um, you know, not that, that the other things aren't as important. I, I don't put it above, I put it as in, in context of like in concert with the rest of those things. But it, it's, it's something that, and, and you certainly have experienced it because you see it as the clinician in, in, your, in your practice and, and all these people you see, it's like, you know, when the rest of my world seems to be falling apart, it's like the one place I can go. Mm -hmm. you know? um, and, you know, it's, I know everyone's kind of got their own kind of thing where they can go to, um, whether it is a practice, you know, meditation, martial arts, maybe it's singing, maybe it's, you know, music or whatever for me it's like you know if I can get out you know um, you know in isolation in the country in the desert or something and, and and be myself you know be by myself you know with my own thoughts and particularly if it's a, you know a really kind of powerful time if it's a full moon or something that seems to you know add a little you know something extra to it um, and it, it seems to like you know do so much for me from a from a healing context that, you know, it's almost like I, I can hold on to that for at least a couple of weeks, you know, and that wasn't always the case coming out of, like, the therapist's office or whatever, right, you know, it'd be sometimes the exact opposite. So for me, it was really a, a you know, a pursuit of, of, of healing, um, but it, it ended up taking me in all these different kinds of um, directions and kind of trying to figure shit out on my own, you know, because I didn't, I wasn't trained as a shaman, you know, I'm not trained as a shaman, I've had, you know, a lot of experience in that respect, and and, and not trained in Chinese medicine like you, you know, and, and, and as a shaman like you, and those kinds of things. So, you know, I'm trying to stumble my way through some of these things that, that, that um, might seem um, strange to some folks, but also maybe even, like, pedantic to others, but, you know. Well, it's like what I would say to you about yoga, you know. Yoga came from a culture that wasn't hyper-individuated like us. So a lot of it has to be modified for a culture that's so egocentric. The traditional, of, the traditional part of it was from a culture that you have hundreds of thousands of people in mm -hmm. close proximity, whereas here we're so hyper-individuated, and that's why the asanas, out of the eight limbs, we take the one that's the most body-centered, and then we just go crazy on it because it feeds that part. And I think it's the same thing with the shamanic circles. You know, it's taken from cultures that weren't so hyper-individuated and a culture that's so hyper-individuated. So I think, like what you're saying, like the psychotherapy piece mm -hmm. of it, these parts of it have to really be brought in from a modern perspective. Now, certain aspects of it have to be really honored. Yeah. Dosages and these experiences, these things, yeah, they, they still hold true, as Terence McKenna used to say, there are old shamans and there are bold shamans, but there are no old, old shamans. <laughs> so you can't be crazy about it, but at the same time, it has to be really put into a place which is modern on that level. It has to be made modern. I just had, uh, working with a client a couple of weeks ago, but I had a very profound ayahuasca experience, and then we're going to do two more rounds, back to back. And he trusted his own experience. It was like, listen, I'm going to actually sit with this, and then the next week the shaman 
called, hey, listen, now we're going to do another gathering, are you ready? And you, know, you really should do another one, and that's how it's done. And, you know, this guy was still in the process. Yeah, yeah. That's a very rare thing. But that's actually different than his guru slash shaman oriented cultures where, oh, the shaman, the maestro says this, and then you go do what he or she says. That part's not working anymore. Yeah. So. Yeah, I didn't interrupt you, but that's actually very important. No, no, it's 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 kind of the, you know, the the idea of, of trying to like take, you know, what's good from a lot of these traditions and and and, and, and making it contemporary and making yes. it, you know, something that's very personal to me. Yes. And then if it works for me, then 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 great. But you know, I think you're right about the whole idea of like you have to, you know, respect the 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 elders and in the old traditions, but at the same time go with your gut about you know. Don't leave your brain at the door. Yeah, I exactly. Mean, certainly, you have to respect it, but don't leave your brain at the door. I think there's. I mean, we can go on and on about the yeah. stories about people that um, certainly have have done that and have paid yeah. dear prices for that. So. Yes, both of us included. So go go on. So. Um, think that uh, you had talked in the you know in the past about like you know we can have um, you know experience of of of, fun, of the absolute and we can have experiences of, of phenomenon but the mm-hmm. two should never kind of get um, confused with each other mm-hmm. and you know in in ceremony I mean I've seen you know some you know some pretty amazing things and you know, I'm sure you have as well and in, in terms of like just you know it's not water cooler talk, you know, it's just like you would not fucking believe, you know, some of the stuff that I've seen, you know, it's kind of a really batty thing from Riker, you know, from uh, Blade Runner, you know, I've seen things you people wouldn't believe, you know, and um, so it's funny because, you know, when I started doing like some of this deep work, it was after I, you know, developed a relationship, relationship with you, and so I was really, you know, kind of trying to understand these things being removed and not being so caught up and saying like this is the end all be all and trying to kind of analyze it you know from like that that typical kind of western you know mind and 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 not being too good at it but i think you know what's you know what's kind of interesting to me is like you know i have been you know except from like maybe the first few experiences i have been denied is the wrong word but i have less and less of these um, experiences of phenomena, mm-hmm. and I have more and more internal experiences of like feeling energies and those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know, or it's like you know, I've I've come to respect because I think it's it's you know something you've taught me of like you know that there's there's the circus sideshow piece of this, and then there's like the real work, you know. Um, and and so I've kind of like. If I see something or feel something, that's kind of great, but I kind of let it go because it's just like, okay, that's just kind of like the circus sideshow piece. Um, but what's really happening is this over here. You know, this what I feel or this this came up, this memory, this feeling, this, this insight or whatever. And, and that's something that, um, you know, I've kind of, I think, more and more have, have grown or deepened my appreciation of. And so... It's kind of led me away from maybe some of like the more, you know, you know, balls out kind of you know chemicals or, or, or sacraments, just because you know it's easier to work with something where you're not completely you know wiped out and, and you have to have guides and those kinds of things, particularly doing solo work. So, well, we want to get high, and we live in a culture that wants to get high. Yeah. So that's one thing. One has to really be honest with oneself. In my experience, most of us want to get high. You know, I remember hanging out with these <clears throat> shamans back in the day, Native Indians, and just really wanting to do a 
peyote and be like, oh, I'm hanging out. I just don't want to get high. And these guys were like, you want to get high. And I was mm. in my 20s. They're just like, you're full of shit. You want to get high. Yeah. Come here and sweat. This is what you need. And for two years, it was like, come on, man. I was like, no way. So we want to get high. And that's the part of it. One has to be honest with oneself. And we think under the guise of wanting to have, to have some kind of spiritual experience. We want to get high. You want to get high, get high. That's not the issue. Do it in a manner that's not destructive to yourself or someone else. By all means, we live in a fascist state. You might go to jail for it, but certainly if you can do it in a way that's not destructive, yes. But the other part of this whole piece is we are so afraid of what we think we're looking for. And we, one cannot underestimate that. So the circus show that you're talking about is how the ego subverts the actual experience. And then the last piece of this thing is, you know, the absolute cannot be experienced, really. I mean, there is no you when there's the absolute. I know yeah. as, as anyone who's had an hallucinogenic experience understands that in their bones. Mm -hmm. You can't talk about that. Yeah. But it's like the dry you talking to the wet you saying, well, how do I stay dry but I'm wet? And the wet you is going like, doesn't work that way, homeboy. You gotta, you gotta get wet. It's like, no, no, but I don't want to get my hair wet. But what's it like? What's that water like? It's like either you're in or you're out. And then once you're in there, you're never out. You know, you, you've had that experience. You're never going to notice that pure dryness. So these are very tricky things to talk about. And one really has to sit with it and examine it to know it's phenomenal or absolute. Because mm. usually if you can talk about it, it's still phenomenal. It can be close to the absolute, but it's still not quite. Yeah, you know what I mean? It's, it's, yeah, like, I mean, these words are all yeah. lies anyway. So I'm, yeah. I'm talking shit now. So you cannot talk about it. But it is, it's, it's, it's not a direct experience, but that's the closest thing one can say. But you just know there's no you. But when you know it, when the you is back. Mm -hmm. So the you is not really going to have that experience of the absolute. Certainly the resonance, as one can say, of that experience that will resonate with you and then affect your life radically, most times, because things calm down. But again, you know, we start forming. Unless we're dissolved in that, then there's no we. The, the reformation happens. That's something like meditation that constantly, gently kind of softens that. That's like love. That can be music. That can be an animal. Your love of your dog, my love of my dog. Like that kind of love softens that sense of barrier apathy. These are things that get closer in a non-chemical way. Yeah, yeah. You you work in ceremony like daily. I mean, ritual. You know, mm -hmm. we say ceremony and ritual at the same time. Mm -hmm. You know, and and you use it as a, a, a as a tool to kind of or as a process of cleansing. You know, cleansing your space um, for your clients and for yourself. Um, you know, in in that context, do you do you separate that from any other type of context of ceremony, or is it all the same to you? It's all the same. It's all the same. It's all mine, right? So that's what I was saying earlier about <clears throat> intentions or these prayers that have been done, or it's all mine. And I used to spend hours and hours clearing rooms, and you know, sometimes I, there was a time when I actually used to um, live in my office like right in that office and you know a couple nights a week and boy there were like these entities that would like I would get stuck with needles they were doing I mean it was crazy stuff hmm. and I realized like boy I'm not doing a good job this is this cleansing is not happening it was just this one room that it would crash in so I started really paying attention and the main thing I found with these ceremonies is you have to be in the moment obviously being in the moment is the most powerful protector in any kind of situation that's where I figured feel out feet, yeah. feel your feet breath, but really, if mine is in a moment, you are protected. It's an interesting thing. Now, if you're saging, if you're using bells, if you're using mantras, I can go around this office and clear these rooms to ex identical externally, to you that look identical. Mm -hmm. I'll do the mantras, then I do the bells, then I do the sage, or the holy wood, 
and I'm in my head, I'll come sit here within five minutes of like, my God, nothing happened. Then hmm. I can get up just once and do one of those things and fully be present while I feel my body bone and clears it. So sometimes my senses, these rituals are just a way of focusing the mind to be in the moment. And the other thing I've found is, you know, as I'm getting older and doing this longer, it's easier. When I'm in the moment, pretty much every second of every hour of that day, there's nothing left in the rooms. Nothing needs to be cleared. Hmm. If something traumatic happened and I had a little slip and I'm not there, I'm, I'm a pretty, I've gotten to a point after 20 some nine years, yeah. I can be quite present in the rooms. Um, and if I'm, there's a little slip there, something happened or something that distracted me, there's more stuff to clean up. So being in a moment is the magic of these ceremonies. When you say clean up, I mean you you get a you get a, a feeling. Yes. You get some, yes. like something you used to I do. feel it. And it's what we were talking about when we started talking. So everyone's had, had this, has had this experience where you walk into a space, into a room, and you kind of feel light. You're like, oh this feels good in here. Mm -hmm. And you think, oh maybe the light's good or these flowers are pretty, and you walk into a room and it's like, whoa, it feels really stuffy. And it's not really stuffy smell-wise. There are certain rooms you walk into and it's heavy. Mm. People talk about, man, I walked in this room in the hospital, it was heavy. Well, it's literal. The frequency is lower. Yeah. It's literally heavy. We don't ever put that in there. Yeah. Hey, man, let's get high. What are you talking about? The frequency is going up. You're getting higher. The language betrays what's going on. Interesting. Yeah, that's so that's that thing, that feeling of denseness is that. But one has to be comfortable wherever, you know, some of us just want to stay in a high place. That's not reality, it's not possible. I mean, people do it. Coke, coffee, six cups, that energy. The trick is to actually be comfortable everywhere. You don't prefer Sweden or Pakistan. Pakistan, you're at home. Sweden, you're at home. New York City, you're at home. You might be like, you know what, actually in the summer I'd rather be in Sweden and in the winter I'd rather be in Pakistan. Fair enough. But you don't freak out when you go to Pakistan in the summer you don't freak out when you go to Sweden in the winter. So that's a part of the trick here too, of being comfortable and getting your frequency to adjust to what's around you. This is the third Zen patriarch. Patriarch, uh, let go of your preferences and your aversions and the truth shall be perfectly clear. Let go of your preferences and your aversions. Now that's pretty boring in consumer yeah. culture, right? That's yeah. like insanity. What do you mean yeah. preference? I mean, preference and aversion is how we sell and that's buy everything. That's everything, yeah. 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 Everything. This, that's an interesting, you know, because um, I, you know, I can certainly feel like when you talk about and describe these things like heavy energies and, you know, and, and, and the higher energies in terms of frequency. And how do you describe the energetic kind of signature or the frequency of like anxiety? Because we just, you know, we're in like a really kind of anxious mode and place right now. Mm -hmm. I mean, we were you know, at your meditation last night. Um, Eddie Stearns, he is so dedicated, you know, does such great, you know, such great work there, you know, and pujas after pujas and just, you know, honoring the deities and just really, you know, you know, this, this, you know similar to your space, it's very, you know, very clean, you walk in and you feel very light. How do you describe, is, is anxiety a heavy energy? Is it a dense energy? How do you describe energy? Because that's a, a piece that I always kind of get confused about. I mean, there's different types of anxiety. So when, as a clinician, when somebody walks in, there's like different types of depression. So this is somebody who's not sitting in that energy all the time. You know, if someone's not a computer guy, you're a real computer with. So, you know, like a PC and a Mac to you are like so different, you know, but like as someone, like 
even I know the difference between PCM Mac. When I look at someone like my father, who was like in his 80s, he's like, yeah, whatever. Mm -hmm. So anxiety is like that. And most of us are like my father, where we're like, it's just a computer that you open up and you punch some stuff in. But then you go to PC to Mac, and you go like, was it an AirBook, or is it like a G4? And then you're like, what, is it an old school? Is it like an iBook? It's, anxiety is such a wide spectrum of things. But overall, I would say it's an unmoored high-frequency energy. So it's not grounded. So you can actually have high frequency that's grounded. It's an unmoored high high frequency. And the other thing about it is, so it's like frenetic in a way. It's yes, like not it's, in a way. Exactly. It's not a not a, a constant kind of high frequency that you would get like in your space or in, no. in this in the temple yes. or you know what you what you kind of pull in in terms of ceremony. It's it's it's, it's unmoored. The, it's a draining kind of energy. It's well, it's high, definitely exhausting. Oh yeah, yeah it's, it's definitely like, exhausting. And then the other thing about it is. <clears throat> You know, we push it away because we live in a culture that hasn't, well, I don't know if any culture, but certainly in this culture, I observe myself, you know, part of my swearing just trying to sit every day or do sit every day is to actually make friends with that anxiety. Anxiety, I really feel, is part of the human experience. The fact that we numb it makes it so much more worse. It's like anything else. You have a child that's like sort of nagging and you don't ask the child, what's up with you? What's going on? the child will get more and more upset, more and more upset. It's the same thing. You have to actually get this child and be like, what's going on? Anxiety to me is this thing that runs everybody. And everyone's trying to run away from it. So the biggest thing with anxiety is to actually sit with it and it immediately shifts. It immediately shifts. But people, talk, I treat people on like five or six medications for anxiety. It's amazing. I mean, they're, they can barely like actually function. And that's how scared of anxiety. And my heart goes out to them. I've had panic attacks. They're not fun. But again... There's an energetic perspective. I look at people drinking three, four, five cups of coffee. For most people, yeah, they're exhausted. But, but, but they're jacked because they're pushing anxiety away. Overeating, pushing anxiety away. The whole porn thing and spending hours and hours on the computer, what is actual porn or just the porn of being reading news. All that stuff are mechanisms. To me, anxiety is a big sort of linchpin in this whole thing. Yeah. That we have to make friends with. All these other things can come and go. Anxiety... It's really sort of the, the default setting. But it seems like, you know, and, and you're going to, you know, thump me um, because it's a judgment, but it seems like a lot of people don't even recognize the fact that, that they have anxieties around certain things, you know, um, because they have constructed their, you know, their life or in such a way or their viewpoints in such a way that they're, you know, you know maybe they're narrow or whatever, but, you know, you know, this... This idea around, you know, we talked about it before we started, like, you know, insanity just happened here, um, you know, superstorm super insanity. Yeah, it's just like, yeah, why does the media have to name storms like that? It's just you know, annoying. But, I mean, we, we look at, you know, the, the what's happened in the last several years. I mean, you know, you just run through the list, you know, the, the tsunami and the earthquake in Indonesia, you know, Katrina... You know, Irene, the Japanese earthquake and tsunami, and, and, and Sandy. I mean, like these hundred-year storms are happening every other year now, and, and whatnot. So, you know, that all aside, but you know, what just happened in New York? Yeah, it is. And um, you know, so there's a significant amount of anxiety, and, and even now, I mean, talking to you know colleagues at work and whatnot. I mean, you know, these ideas of like, you know, oh, you know, well, we're back to normal, everything's fine. You know, um, you know, you know, keep buying, consuming watching reality TV or whatever, and again, I'm being judgmental, forgive me. Um, 
but you know, you know, and then there'd be like one naysayer at the table who's like, you know, you know, it's you know, it's not it's not business as usual anymore. I mean, when you cut people's water off and their power off, you know, and they can't get food for you know three or four days, you know, people start to get crazy. You know, we saw that, you know, and, and we certainly saw it in Katrina and, you know, and whatnot. so this, this idea that, that everything's kind of, you know, normal um, is, is kind of, uh, you know, I think is the ridiculous thing. Well, but let's break this down a couple of places. So the first thing is that people actually don't know they're anxious. They actually don't know. Yeah. So I know for myself, I remember in my 20s, people have been like, you know, you're anxious. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? I didn't understand what they were saying. And I was a therapist since I was like 18 or 19. Yeah. It took me years to realize that actually I was anxious, probably like a good 10 years. And then to actually start working with it. You know, it, took, it takes a long time. We are so freaked out by anxiety. So let's say someone is anal retentive. For a lot of us, we become control freaks. That's totally, for most of us, a way of masking the anxiety. Some of us become total quote-unquote fuck-ups and can't do anything and become big messes and our houses are dirty. Response to anxiety. The anxiety is masked on so, so many levels that we actually don't know. People don't know they're anxious. I look at the average person that comes to my practice, and I have a pretty wide array of ages and groups, yeah. and no one stops from the second they wake up. That's anxiety. Now, they might not stop and not be working. They might you know, just be cleaning their house, or they might be running around making art, or they might be running around, or they might be getting up at 5 in the morning and working and... Yeah. It's all anxiety. So the first thing I would say is it's a default setting. We're not aware of it. The piece of I want to go back to normal, that it's normal, is actually connected to that. Because we're being forced on one level to wake up, which means letting go of our routines. Routine is what keeps anxiety at bay. And that routine can be six cups of coffee a day. See, I don't think it's just the power, the water, and all that stuff that creates it, which I actually think it is. I think more than that, the lack of power and a lack of food on one level, until it gets to the point where you're starving, obviously, starts taking away the ways that you numb the anxiety. It's the thing I was talking about in the meditation. Oh, yeah. the interesting thing how people were like lining up to charge their cell phones, which I understand, you want to be in contact with people, and then looking for Wi-Fi. It wasn't about just making a call. I mean, you know, okay, so you can make one call, so what the next day, what about the next day? It's this absolute terror of being by yourself, with yourself, which goes back to what you're talking about, the woods. When you first step into the woods, there's this amazing fright of being with oneself. So all this stuff is a lack of having a relationship with self. And now, yes, you're right. I mean, all these storms are happening. Whatever we say, it's global warming or Gaia waking up. Whatever you want to say, the reality is things are changing. For the record, I didn't say December 21. Yeah, thank you. Well. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. But, but you know, not, not a new thing. It was 2015. I didn't even hear that before. I was like, okay, I, I didn't catch that one. Where the hell that comes from? I was reading something today. But it's interesting, just on a side note on this, I was reading this research paper today on, on global change, let's say. And the scientist was talking about basically anybody 27 or younger has not had a winter where the temperature is below what it is normal. So anyone in the last 27 years, if you're 27 or younger... You haven't experienced yeah, a real winter, yeah. You haven't experienced a winter where it's yeah. actually the temperature drops below normal. It's all been above. So there's, there's something going on that. That's crazy. But it's a wake-up call, and the thing is, one, it's not about judgment, you know. We're all in this together. So those of us who don't want to, you know, we were here in 9-11, and here we were with Superstorm. It's all us. 
it's all one one group. Whether your 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 colleague that I work with, like everything is normal, or the colleague who's all prepped, we're in the she same boat here. Preppers, yeah. yeah. So it's it's really that that part of it is like very tricky. It can be. We have to accept that part. We're all we're all in it together. That's that's interesting. And then then there's another kind of a you know tangential kind of um, question around that. So you know here and this is personal experience talking. So correct me where I'm, I'm completely off. Um, so perhaps there has been. I'll just use the example. It's easier to talk about. Like you know when I've had. Um, traumatic experiences um, like you know losing a loved one or something along those lines you know it's there seems to be like this this space or opportunity of like complete and in after a certain amount of like you know crying wailing screaming fighting you know whatever you know just like this amazing outpouring of energy um, you know around different things in very difficult circumstances and you're just completely drained and then there seems to be a, a a period of time where you're just completely numb, where you don't feel anything, you know, um, this is again, personal experience, you know, and I feel like, you know, you're almost at a point where it's just like, you know, there's nothing, you know, it's like you know, even like beyond um, feeling like that you have like any hope, you know, and this is just, like, these are like really dark periods of my life, right, and everyone has their own kind of dark night of the soul, and I just, you know um, I think I'm referring to that more than anything else so in, in that kind of respect, how do you, um, you know, how do you, I guess, um, how do you deal with that, you know, uh, those, those extreme vacillations of like, you know, the, the hyper-anxiety piece that we just talked about, and then the, the, the opposite end of the spectrum where the, you seem to be completely devoid of any kind of anxiety, much less anything else. Almost like to the degree, like you, you, you've gone off the deep end in terms of clinical depression, or maybe you know, heading towards a nervous breakdown, or whatever. I mean, I've had some really dark, dark, dark times in my life, you know, and 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 where you know you could it could be the third world war going around me, and I wouldn't feel it, you know, that kind of thing. Um, how you know, and this is kind of you know going back to the ceremony thing, and, and what I've used in terms of you know trying to kind of um, you know reconcile those two extremes how how is it that you can you know you can you can have such kind of you know amazing extremes and still kind of maintain you know i hate to use it almost a cliche term equanimity i mean mm -hmm. you you talk a lot about you know stillness and stillness speaks like a lot of the great masters do you know is there any other kind of um you know, grounding energetic therapy that, that people can like tap into. I mean, what do you, you know, given that kind of. You gotta go into statement. it. I mean, you have to go into it. First of all, they're not on opposite spectrums for me. That deep anxiety and that numbness or that great depression that want to put a gun to your head and pull the trigger, mm -hmm. deep, there's a desperation there of disconnection. To me, they're, just, they're not opposite ends of the spectrum. Probably not. No. No, I mean, they might feel like that, but they're all pain from disconnection. And the question then is, is ceremony appropriate at that point? Sometimes you really need to deal with the psychological aspect. Sometimes ceremony at that point can push you over the edge. I've mm -hmm. seen it. Yeah. That's why we have soul retrieval, where people actually become so fragmented, and then they go into, from a fat, fragmented place, go into even a more fragmented place. So you have to actually make friends with those things. You have to reach out for those things. And those things can last for years. So that's actually where expert help's needed. Now... You know, I wasn't into medication when I started doing this work. There are people who really need to be on medication, and it really does them wonders as long as they're working on themselves. 
chemical imbalances can be diet related or people are eating sugar and drinking six cups of coffee. It's not existential at that point. Is the yeah. body being toxic? Is it you've taken on from your parents? Is it that? It's very complicated. It's not something one can definitely do one brush stroke on. Mm -hmm. But and maybe that's kind of an extreme, you know, no, like but it's a really dark thing. But like it's, but it's like common. But it's taking common. a pummeling, you know, yes. in your life, and like in, in in being, I think, at that point where it's it's certainly not at least being adept to the degree that you can identify, you know, the, you know, something that would be an anxiety, and that certainly doesn't feel like it. It yes. feels like just like being pounded. But how do you respond to a situation? It's not about situations. How you respond to it. And part of the mastery that comes over time isn't that everything's roses and crepe. Mm -hmm. Your partner might leave you and fuck your best friend. How do you deal with that? You might be a great bodhisattva. Like, how do you deal with that? that that's going to suck. Mm -hmm. You know, your friend fucks you out of your SEP IRA. Mm -hmm. How does that feel? Mm -hmm. You know, your house gets trashed and something that you've spent 20 years building and loving is taken away from you. And we can talk all kinds of poetic bullshit about it. I mean, life is brutal. Life can be brutal. Right? So what do you do with it in those moments? I've, in these rooms, I've watched parents leave children of three and five or seven behind. It's brutal. What do you, these words mean nothing there. Yeah. You want to talk about being pummeled and you're a single parent left with yeah. raising a three-year-old. Now we can talk about it and be like karmic, this and that, but it becomes almost cruelty at that point. Yeah. Even if it's true, which, may, which in my experience it is. So then it becomes, how do you react to these things? And one part of it is realize that this too shall pass which is how I deal with things. Like, you know, the older you get, it's easier too because you have more of experience. It's kind of harder in your teens and 20s and 30s. It just seems so big. And then you've had two divorces and mm -hmm. you go like, oh, this is this phase and I'm going to want to kill myself here <laughs> yeah. and I feel here then I'm going to be angry here then I get neutral and I'm then yeah. so stoked and I'm going to be sad again yeah. a year later. You know, it's yeah. like you see the pattern. You see the pattern. But a part of it is how do you handle yourself? It's not about stillness. You know, part of the misconception of spirituality is that we have this have this stillness and totally... Uh, it's the great pacifier. Yeah, and to me that's drugs. Yeah. That doesn't work. It doesn't work. That's repression. That's all this crazy shit that happens that I hear every day in these rooms of these quote-unquote spiritual teachers doing this, doing that. Because mm -hmm. it's not real. You know, people are living real lives. My heart every day goes out to people, man, fighting a good fight, trying not to fuck someone over for the dollar. Mm -hmm. Trying to be as honest as they can be where everybody around them is hammering them. That's what Plato's line. Dishonesty definitely pays better than honesty in this culture. You know, people are fighting a good fight. On that level, too, to give yourself credit for that and realize, like, this too shall pass on one level. Is it something that needs to be addressed? If you're in that great pummeling, is it something as a response to something you experienced? Or is it something that's an agitator that every day is affecting the job that you hate or a relationship that you hate or some unresolved childhood issue? then at that time you have to summon up the courage and go and deal with it so it doesn't pummel you anymore. And we're addicted to the pain as well. We, we know the pain well. You know, those of us who've had abusive childhoods, we know very well in relationship and otherwise situations that we manifest. You know, by the time your third partner is abusive or your you know, third boss is abusive, so like, wait a minute, this is weird. Other people are not having this experience. Why is this happening? So it's so complicated, that energy. But spirituality is not a get-out-of-jail-for-free card out of suffering. Life is sometimes suffering. Sometimes it's really beautiful. There are people always blissed out. I was never one of those people. God, I wish I was, man, sometimes. I, I was not one of those people. But certainly, there's a peacefulness that comes with the, amidst the pain. 
You know, like even if you don't get that full-on sun coming out and, and the unicorn dancing around, there's a certain serenity that comes from the constant practice that can be a great salve. Is it, is, it, is, an, is it an ebb and flow for you, or is it a constant? Both. There's Both a part of the, 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 the Yes, because there's a part of the inner knowingness that's just the, ebb, it, it, that's just the stillness. But then the humankind is like, oh, this is... And not on the rise and not high and low. Because actually, the thing that one realized after was the highs, when you go on that ride, you're going to go on a down ride as well. Sometimes it's fun. Sometimes it's fun. Sometimes it's great. Have a cup of coffee if you want to drink coffee or a cup of black tea and just woo! You know? But also realize that 3 o'clock in the afternoon when you want to kill yourself, it's like, this is the other side of that. So part of it is like you just start seeing things with a wider lens. The neurotic mind sees it with a very tiny lens, which is everything becomes a big deal. Oh my God, the bus is late. Oh my God, the train is late. Small lens, the big lens, okay? So it's late, so there are people waiting, so I guess they're going to know I'm going to be late for this thing. That's where surrender comes in. That's where the part of surrender comes in. Right, so surrender, again, it goes back to bringing back to the beginning of this, that prayer that you started with, that's the surrender. If you want to not be in that up and down, ebb and flow, you go into more of the surrender thing. But surrender thing can also drive you crazy. Right, the surrender thing can be you like can surrender everything. Well, yeah, you know? and, and that's like in India or, or like yeah. in his Muslim countries. Well, you know, God wanted my child to die. It's like, yeah. well, or also you could have taken your child to the doctor. Like, I mean, come on, it's not. You know what I mean? I was reading this thing today in Yemen where the cycling team people considered them homosexual because they're wearing tights, so they run them off the road and try to kill them, and that's God's will because they're driving an SUV because someone's wearing like a blue short. So. There's a point where the surrender thing gets a little bit crazy. But in terms of an emotional body, in terms of that, keeping your eye in that middle section, that goes back to the meditation. And meditating every day will help you with that. But don't get bored. We get bored with that still point. So you're talking to me about the still point from an experience of having that deep, deep pain. Mm -hmm. But the second that deep, deep pain goes away, we get bored with the stillness. We never let this thing cook deep enough. As soon as the water starts boiling a little bit, we turn it down. That's what Chinese have this beautiful saying when it comes to Qigong of you have to, it's like a kettle. You have to leave the water on for so long until it comes to a boil. You can switch it on and off 10,000 times, it's not going to boil the water. It's going to be a constant heat. So going back to the experience of ceremony and, and, and in my application of it, I certainly have experienced what I would consider like know, non-ordinary consciousness as well as non-ordinary reality. Mm. Two very different things, in my opinion. Like is that. that the same in, like, your experience or in your opinion? Are they the same, or is it completely different? Because, you know, it almost seems like there's a, you know, there's a, a, a quality, and then maybe we can go back to, like, the phenomenon versus the absolute thing, but non-ordinary consciousness could be something where you wouldn't even need a sacrament. You could just shift your perception based upon pranayama or something mm-hmm. along those lines. Um, and then non-ordinary reality, which is like, you know, you're out in the stars somewhere kind of mm-hmm. thing. You know, what's kind of your ideas around that? We're deaf, dumb, and blind. I mean, you know, you don't even have to go up to the stars. I mean, yes, there's all this, I've had all these experiences, and I know many people have, it's nothing special. So astral projection, you can train yourself to do these things. Robert Monroe, which somebody I spent time with, you know, journeys out of the body guy, you know, he would train you. He would go there for like seven days or ten days, whatever it was. He'd, astral projection, yeah. Yeah, we play with these frequencies in your brain. You'd sleep in these booths where these sort of high frequencies were playing, and then you'd go up the next day, 
and everybody would shoot, like it would be 10 people having these group dreams. But I'd ridden my motorcycle there from the cities in Virginia. I remember leaving my body and it was this orange Chevy van parked next to my bike. And I was like, fucking dick, I can't believe it's parked so close to my bike. And just a passing thought. And the next morning I woke up and I eat my breakfast. I go out there and just got that orange van parked like two inches away. I was like, this guy almost took the clip on up. But everybody was having these experiences. So when you say non-ordinary experience, remember that culture is a mass hypnotic tool to almost lower, not almost, to lower the frequency so everyone can get on the same page. And the diet and sugar and all these things, alcohol, tobacco, these are a part of that. And that's a part of actually, there's a reason why hallucinogens are a schedule one drug that you go to jail for, because culture is protecting the stuff. We talked about this last time. Yeah. So you don't need to be going to the stars or have astral projection. You know, with our five senses, we're picking up less than 2 to 3% of electromagnetic phenomena right in this room right now. You can get all kinds of instruments to pick up all kinds of energies. I just hang out with these guys in Italy who were doing sort of this like a high-tech version of this ghost research, just basically temperature measurements and all that. It was crazy what they were picking up. And, you know, in Italy's buildings are 500,000 years old, full on. Yeah. So these things are real, but then the question becomes, how do they affect us? What do they affect us? I mean, you can talk about that. You can talk about the fact that without getting out there, you can just study microbes underneath your foot. There's a whole civilization going on there. Now you can go to, you know, airborne particles. There's a whole civilization going there. So what is the point of that? The point of it is to realize, make one realize how small one really is. To me, that's the point. But also how connected one is. And also how eternal one is. These are the points of that. <clears throat> but otherwise, it becomes another way that we're just jerking off. It becomes another masturbatory thing. But yeah. yes, as a phenomenal thing, is it real? Yes. I've had these experiences as you have, as anybody who's had these experiences. <clears throat> you know, Robert Monroe, I mean, this guy was like this all-American boy. You know, he started basically having these experiences when his dreams, he would go to California from New York and see what his friends were wearing and what conversations they were having and, and he would call them the next morning and be like, are you in LA? I'm like, no, I just had this dream about you. I'm like, no, you didn't. That's exactly what's going on. There is a gazillion yeah. amounts of research on this stuff. Yeah. Now, for someone who's very solidly stuck on this plane, that's very important. But again, this is one of those cruel jokes where the people that are into it are the ones who are experiencing it or want to experience it and the people who are solidly based in quote-unquote scientific mind wouldn't even look at it. Mm -hmm. So this is the thing about these things. Yeah, again, it's not yeah. a water cooler conversation. No, but it's starting to be. Yeah. People are having experiences, you know. I mean, it's interesting. I remember when I was working with a lot of dying patients and people would die and you start talking to some of these people who were doing hospice work and all of a sudden everybody would start, you know, the most straight-laced person would start sharing these things. Like, hey man, like, when someone dies, you're close. You get this weird shit like lights go on and off or the phone rings and no one picks it up or a bird hits the window. I was having these crazy experiences. I thought they were crazy. There's like so much literature on this stuff. Like so much literature on this stuff in America. Mm. Not like... There's this book behind the Russian, behind the red curtain, which discusses all the psi research the Russians were doing back in the 70s. It's here. The research on the 70s, 80s, 90s. I mean, the stuff that we think is so outrageous, it's so common. But again, it's culture. Culture, you know, there's a function culture. It's not just a fascist tool. It's, its function is to keep things cohesive so it's so it can, so it can go on. Yeah, the game, propagate, so, yeah, can like so propagate. Yeah, the propagate game can go on. If everyone's running around in the woods doing mushrooms, well, mm -hmm. 
be hard to kind of keep things going. So that's the function of it. Yeah. So culture poo-poo's this stuff. So I think it's more of a water cooler conversation, but unfortunately in our culture then it becomes another form of numbing. Yeah. It's like, okay, so we're all one. Okay, so what are you going to do with that? Are you still going to try to fuck this person over? Like, no, if you're all one, you... Hmm. Yeah, it's funny, you know, how powerful, like, the world, you know, the words of, like, you know, George Carlin and, and like, you know, Bill Hicks, Bill you know. Hicks, oh, man. I mean, these guys, they were... Radical. You know, radical. But, They're radical, but they talked, you know, comedy is one of those tools that can be used. I mean, Carlin was amazing, right? Yeah. The fact that he actually managed to be along, but, you know, Bill Hicks died, and I, my sense mm-hmm. really died from... I mean, he was, like, ridiculed and... Yeah, and didn't you know the whole thing with Letterman? Yeah, and Letterman. Letterman I mean, yeah. If people don't know who Bill Hicks is, I would definitely say just look up this guy on the internet and see some of his comedy. I mean, such a radical, radical being. Oh yeah, yeah. Love being, just a pure, pure love. Yeah, he was, he was amazing. Irreverent. Yeah. I mean, the best. It's like a Zen master and then some. Mm-hmm. But these people use comedy, but certainly if you're not using that, you're considered insane and put aside. But yeah. they open themselves up to that sure, uh, sure. truth and like were able to. Well, and they're amazing at channeling it. And there's something about humor. Well, thank God for like John Stewart, even contemporary, like you know, to, to be able to like at least talk at that level. I mean, maybe not. He's not a Bill Hicks or a George Carlin by any stretch, but I mean, to he's, be speaking, able to, he's speaking truth. He's speaking the truth. Well, comedy though, right? There's something about comedy that makes these things more palatable. You can actually uh, palatable. You can actually ingest it or digest it a little bit better. Yeah. Because it's not pleasant. Because what is the thing about these things? I mean, the bottom line of this whole thing is idealized self-image. Our whole life is based on an idealized self-image. We don't learn really be told that these are these ugly aspects of ourselves. So comedy is the only way that we can kind of take it in. But that's when, when you say someone doesn't have a sense of humor because their idealized self-image is so strong that they cannot let that go. So that's the person that goes kill someone of a different religion or kill someone over abortion because the idealized self-image is so tied into that belief system. The idea of these ceremonies is to actually loosen that knot. You loosen a knot of self, that loosens a knot of idealized self, then that actually keeps your heart more open to everything. So we become more cruel because the idealized self has gelled so much, it's actually become this tumor. It's like a cancerous tumor, it stinks. But it's, it's fortified. So the experience, it's not going to be open to any experience like that. That's when people use violence to defend belief systems. Right? That's, what, that's really going on around the world right now. That's how insane we are. When people use these words, I would just, you know, just this whole thing that's going on now, just always so heartbreaking between Palestinians and Israelis, yeah. man, the same. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, and it's like, you know, brother killing brother. I mean, really, sister killing sister. Like, what the hell? Like, yeah, we can say that, but when you live there and it's charged on either side, you know, let's flatten Israel, let's flatten Gaza. Like, man, really? Like, you have a child, what does that feel like? But that's us, that's all of us. And people so take painful. sides, you know, like, yeah, people, so I, it's so painful, so painful, but that's the game, till we actually start giving up the game. These natural disasters, in some weird way, they kind of give a slap upside our head. Well, you talk about, it's actually, I'm glad you brought that up, because you've talked about a lot, like, you know, on an individual level, you know, we get the, you know, we get the, the tap, and then we get the knock, and then we get the stormtroopers, like, coming through mm-hmm. the fucking door, right? And it's almost like Sandy is like the collective stormtroopers coming through totally. the doors for everyone, not just totally. like on an individual basis. Totally. So, you know, if that's the case, what is what what are the stormtroopers trying to tell us? You know, totally. just like to wake the hell up. Like, I mean, to me, it's always connected. These things aren't, again, talk about 
it sounds, things sound crazy. There's definitely a, a sense of wake up. It's a sense of wake up. And you were saying earlier how people will get around the water cooler and want everything to go back to normal. It's getting to a point where like even the most disconnected person will be like, hmm, that's a lot of storms. Yeah. Hmm, that's a lot of disasters. Yeah, and that's and actually right. I mean, to the degree that like that, that these kinds of conversations like even happen in like a you know a, a workplace, you know, with you know a, a wide cross section of people of different sure. beliefs and different backgrounds and whatnot. Not you know anything close to you know you know a ceremony or anything like that. Um, or having like these conversations. Hey, there is a change going on in people, yeah. and the main thing is to work with the fear, not control it, not repress it. Have a conversation with it. What are you afraid of? You know, what is this fear about? The fear piece is really important in this awakening to be worked with, not to be repressed, not to be shoved out, not to be thrown out. It can be very useful. It can be like, hey, listen, don't live in low-lying areas. Yeah. That's a good fear. It's not to be something like, oh, I don't have any fear. It's all one. It's all one. But the conversation with fear has to be had. And anything we do out of fear right now will blow up because it's this new frequency, this sort of what you can call from thir three dimensions to five dimensions, all these language people use. That fear has to have a different relationship. It, 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 should, it needs to only be used as a survival mechanism, not as something that runs us. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of our fear is just uninspected, uninvestigated issues. And once they're investigated, they just disappear. If you are everything, if everything is you, what, what is there to fear? Mm -hmm. Now again, that, those are some big words. If you have a family of three and you're living in Breezy Point and you're living in Far Rockaway, that sucks. It's, that's, mm -hmm. There's suffering there and yeah. it's our job to help and all that. It's not, again, it's not either or. But at the same time, you know, these things are going to happen. How are we going to deal with it as a culture? How are we going to deal with it as a planet? And we're torn. So on one level, there's this sort of everyone wants their independence. We're killing each other and fighting each other. On another level, it's like, whoa, Gaia is so much bigger than all that stuff. It totally neutralizes that. Yeah. We're out. We're out, baby. Dream piece. The what? Dream piece. What? What do you want to say about that? Like, you know, I've had a couple of. I don't know if I'll include this one. Right. Um, you know, my father when he back when he passed, he, he's only come to me like a couple of times, right? You know, in my dreams, you know, and I call it more visitation than like dreams when he comes. And then my stepfather came like a couple of few days later. In the dream. In dreams. Who's that? Who's dead, you know, and, and it's been the only time that he's come thus far. And then I had like this dream of like just freaking planes falling out of the sky, and like, you know, and it was like right on the full moon, you know, or the new moon, one, you know, just went by. And I'm just like, you know, I mean, I, I've been having some pretty, you know, crazy dreams lately, but like those few like stood out to me. It's just like, you know, that's just kind of weird, you know, and that's, and I totally get the Jungian thing of like, you know, I'm having a myself and obviously there's these fears of change and everything that I've got going on but like when it's just like well dreams are really interesting right on one level I mean they can be a couple of things on one level they can be just garbage that's getting worked through it's totally mechanical sometimes which I think what yours is more is just a group gestalt you tap into what's going on with the group you're, you're more open to it and sometimes they're actually telling dreams they're foretelling dreams mm -hmm. And unless you're really in that world, which is a very specific thing, and I've only delved in it for a short brief stuff at a time, um, there are people who are really masters of that. I certainly am far from that. One can't tell what that is. You know, you can have a sense of it, like, yeah. is this a foretelling dream, or is it actually because 
the group gestalt is so mm -hmm. scared. And then when you have a group gestalt, like here where people are so checked out, like everyone's excited because the holidays are coming, Black Friday. But meanwhile, all this change is going on. Those dreams will be even more powerful mm -hmm. because the shadow has to come out somewhere. So the shadow comes out by some psycho walking into some theater and mass murdering people and all that kind of crazy stuff. But that's all of us. People don't understand. But like, you know, this is not just about crazy gun laws and all that, which of course it is, but it's much deeper than that. I wish it was that surface. That's all of us. So when you say, when, you know, I'm judging these people, I'm not saying don't judge people, I'm saying that's me and you. Yeah. All this stuff's me and you. The person who's saying like, hey, I'd rather... That dream, that kind of like sort of frightening Armageddon dream, that is me and you too in there. The part of our unconscious. We all have to take responsibility for that. But certainly those dreams will become more intense the more you know, the shadows proportionally as big as re its repression. And boy, we are the masters of repressing it here. You know, once I went getting back to normal, these, all the stuff that's going on, and then you know, all the Democrats are like, all oh, those Republicans, and all those Republicans are those Democrats. As if it like freaking makes a difference <laughs> when a tsunami <laughs> comes or when this disease comes. So when those dreams come, I would say with you, sit with them. Sit with me like, Talk to them. Reveal yourself to me. Am I processing something here? Am I processing something for myself, for my family, for my lineage, for the planet? Is it foretelling? And then what can you do about it? So then you go into a place of prayer and intention if it is something that's really coming. We can't affect things with our mind because it's all mind. And that's something that we don't really talk about in this culture and it sounds so crazy. But we, we can't affect things. It's not just predestined. We're re we are rewriting and writing every day yeah. by our actions in our deeply flawed ways, which we all are. But we are actually activating these things. And that's the biggest responsibility. If you got energy to judge someone, just take it back to yourself. Yeah. Like, why is this person pressing me off? Oh, because a part of me is like that. And what am I going to do today? You know, and whatever that is. I'm going to take the bus instead of drive. I'm going to take the subway. I'm going to walk instead of that because that's going to sit great. But ultimately, where is your heart at? Can you make friends with yourself? You have to take responsibility for yourself. All of us do right now. And that has nothing to do with the U.S. government, the Russian government, the U.S. economy, the Chinese economy. It's us and us. That's the awakening piece right now. That's very, very important. And we feel so powerless. But remember, culture forces you to do that. By thinking you're castrated. You're not castrated. Yeah. you got your ovaries. They're in there. They're working. Make friends with yourself. Well, we allow it. That's yeah. us too. It's nothing outside of us. It's all us. Right? This repression that's going on globally, this real sharp stuff, is the aspect of us that does, that's repressing us internally, that doesn't want to see the handwriting on the wall. And smell the roses along the way. <laughs> smell the roses along the way. Boy, I, for me, that's always a lesson for me. A little bit of beauty.